as a focus to to turn away from the uh, say thinking or from being concent- concentrating on things or on or uh, getting perspective on say emotional feeling reactions it's like going returning to the source or to the emptiness and just a helpful way of of meditating to find a that emptiness as a as a as the kind of place where you where you refer to where you start from from the empty mind rather than than from an idea or a position uh, that you might have about meditation or practice. So even the idea that you should do it can be seen as uh, I should contemplate the sound of silence is also an idea but it actually maybe helps you to remember to do that to to refer to it or turn to it and uh, then uh, you're, you're getting that you're getting that kind of uh, <coughs> reinforcement for practice so that you're, you're not just stuck with uh, uh, just uh, in this uh, problems of the conditioned realm which just go on and on and on there's no you know they <coughs> they go up and down and change and there's no end to it so if you only know thoughts and feelings uh, and that's all you've ever witnessed or that's all you uh, all you know then then you're stuck in this kind of the mire of, of just the emotional habits and thoughts, views, opinions, conceptual proliferations. Uh, this word papancha in Pali means uh, conceptual proliferation. It's just the ongoing <coughs> perpetual kind of proliferating uh, obloki of the mind that just once it starts it just goes on and on and on and on. The habit So, papancha is is a is a good word to to remember. Papancha, translated as conceptual <laughs> proliferation, and it's a, it isn't like reflective thought. Reflective thought is like there is suffering, and and what is it? It's cont- contemplative, using thought to to like when you're in tamanu pasna sadibatana, you're not. It's not conceptual proliferation. You're taking the Dhamma teachings and applying them to reality, to experience. And, but Papancha is this kind of just, this you start with, you know, you, you feel this way and, and your thoughts, then it goes on and on, just without any any direction, just rat- rattling on, one thing connecting with another. One, um, because thought associates with another thought and so forth. So the, the the chattering mind, or the, the the kind of endless din of thinking and emotion, is uh, there's a way out of that, and that's to turn to the silence, or 
reflect on the on the silence of the mind, or to do anapanasati, another way of doing it. Go to the breath. Or to the body, to the to to uh, contemplate the body, your your own physical body, its feeling, its posture, its breathing. But with the sound of silence, you can it, it uh, the sound of silence has a kind of uh, ability to contain everything. So it's it's like a background. So one eventually begins to feel the body in the silence, or the breath in the silence. So, it has a more kind of uh, all-embracing quality than, say, the body itself or the or the anapanasati. At least that's how I how I uh, feel. That's my uh, that's how I experience it. <coughs> now, t- turning away from things is is a is very important to to do it in a, in the right way, not not as a rejection, but as uh, because if there's vipavadanha, desire to get rid of something, then that doesn't work. I mean, you just it ends up as another form of suppressing. So that's why the samaditi is so so uh, is a kind of the right understanding of things is so important because uh, the the vicha, or the knowledge of things as they are, rather than the abhicha. Because when we follow vipavadana, then that's abhicha, that's the ignorance and and of of the uh, second noble truth. So we we don't know vipavadana, so we we follow it, and then we end up with uh, suffering as a result. So it's not just. Grasping the idea of the sound of silence is a way of getting away from your problems. That's not. That's 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 a vicha, bhajaya sankara. That's not. That won't work. But it's it's this uh, ability to wisely reflect, uh, investigate yoniso manasikara, the cause and conditions, seeing the cause and conditions of things. And realizing, let's say, there's no point in just being stuck in the in a in the mire of conceptual proliferation. If you if there's, you know, if you know what it is, you don't. It's not something you're suppressing. It's just something you needn't give your attention to anymore when you're seeing it in the right way. Like the self. The self is the sense of oneself is is uh, arises in thought and emotion. The sense of me uh, as a person, and then you, how I create you as in, in my mind through thought, through memory, through uh, conceptual proliferations. <coughs> Through loving and hating, things like this. So that that is the that is the uh, avicca of the mind. So then, dukkha is a result of that. And if there's avicca, then there's dukkha. So then the 
And uh, with vipassana or insight meditation, you're looking into the way things are, then you, you're seeing the causes of suffering and you're realizing the the non the anatta, the non self, like in the silence, there's there's no there's no sense of a self. If you learn to sustain attention on the silence for a while, it, that's you and you then you contemplate that it it is what it is, but you don't you don't feel like you're anybody. You're not because to become somebody you have to start thinking again. thinking in terms of, uh, you know, not, not reflective thought, but habitual thought, identity with, with uh, I and me. So you, you see the, the arising, the birth of yourself and the, and the death of yourself, mentally. How many births and deaths in the day or in an hour? How many times are do you are you born and die? Are, do you get born and and die within an hour? Good question. <laughs> it's the how many times do I arise and cease? Then the cessation of the sense of self is peace. So. So, we chant anicca, vada, sankara, all conditions are impermanent. They arise and they pass away and their passing is peace. So, in the death of the self is, is peace, is it's clarity, mental clarity, peacefulness of the mind. When, when you've let go of, the, of this uh, sense of self, the assumption, the views and feelings and and grasping of self. And so peace is a, is, a, is a natural state of the mind. Peaceful, clarity, empty, infinite, non-personal, Pure, it's purity, holy, it's blessed, it's holy. It's namotasa bhagavato arahato samma samputasa. So, so then you, you begin to realize that the, the blessed, what is blessed, what is holy, what is pure, <laughs> You're, you really know it. It's something you're, you're realizing, not, and it's not personal. It's not mine. Like I'm holy and I'm pure. It's that that just doesn't make sense anymore. The start thinking I'm holy and I'm pure just now seems a, a nonsense in terms of, of the you know of me as a person. But there is, there is purity. There is holiness. There is blessedness. There is uh, liberation from suffering. There is non-suffering. There is non-self. There is non-grasping. 
And rather than I'm I'm not grasping anything or I'm I don't have any I'm beyond self or I'm you see that that, that whole way of thinking is uh, just uh, is 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 absurd is an absurdity. That's why the Buddha referred to himself as a Dittakada. The Dittakada has that that which is present here and now. It's, it's not not like a somebody with a with a with a birth certificate, a passport, a, a curriculum vitae. It's not like Prince Siddhartha who was became the ascetic Gotama and then became the Buddha. It's not like the the history and the biography of the Lord Buddha is the the detach is that which is present now, alert, conscious now. The suchness and the ta da has this is a Pali word for suchness or as isness of the moment. And, and so we don't have it's very in English language it's very hard to you know the suchness I remember when I first came across the word suchness in the Zen literature what in the heck is suchness suchness it's nonsense I can't figure that one out because it, it, we 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 hold to 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 strong perception. We hold to perceptions as reality. And so, like you, 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 in order for your world to be real, you have to perceive it as something. It can't be just what it is. It has to be. You have to interpret it or give it a name or describe it in some way. That that it, that it, you perceive it in a with, through through words, through ideas. You can see the, the obsession with uh, cameras and photography now, just wanting to, to capture things, capture moments and in, on film, kind of petrify them in time, make them fixed because everything's moving and changing. But in... Uh, the suchness, or da-ta-da, da-ta-da. It's like right now, this is the way it is. And then, then when I say this is the way it is, then somebody says, you mean uh, this is the way it is forever? Uh, no. <laughs> right now, this is the way it is. This is the only way it can be, is the way it is right now. It's changing, but... At this moment, the suchness of this moment is just this way. And so your mind, your thinking mind has to stop. You can't, where is it? What is, what is he saying? You just have to kind of stop your mind and just listen or watch. And then you, then you, then you, then you're relating to suchness, the suchness of the moment, the as, as isness. Then you get into kind of cynical views, like when, when something unpleasant happens or some, 
something bad happens and then we say, well, you know, that's the way it is. And then that's not, that's not suchness, is it? <laughs> that's just a cynical statement. And that, you know, life is pretty horrible and that's the way it is. Just put up with it. Kind of like resignation to misery. That's not suchness. And, you know, unless you see the suchness of that particular uh, attitude. Then we, we think of the past as something that is uh, very real. Ten years I've been a monk. Twenty-eight, twenty-nine years I've been a monk. And, uh, and that's, that's a convention in terms of, uh, you know, conventional reality, but it's, but, uh, then, then we think about ourselves as, as having been something for for 28 years. But that's that's just a memory, or that's perception in the present, isn't it? That's when you really look at it. It's not a person anymore. It's just a, a memory in the present. And so you're you're and you're you're establishing this awareness in the present in the with the Dhamma, with the way things are, rather than than letting all your memories uh, of the past uh, corrupt and disturb and influence the present moment. They're like people that, that, that carry things in their mind, they're just, they're, they, they're always distorting uh, the reality of the present with with their attachments and views. So we we you can see we just uh, the problems of the world come from that from this from resentment from uh, disappointment from suffering from uh, the experiences of the past. And then the, then the present is uh, seen always in, uh, we're not seeing the present, we're just merely uh, projecting or proliferating into the present all kinds of things from the past. So in turning away from that, once you begin to see that, then you, you practice this turning to the silence, to, a start to, 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 to find a resting place in the emptiness and the awareness, the suchness of the moment. And it, 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 the emotions don't tend to want to do that because the emotions, like you know, have a have a power that uh, is very convincing. They can they can really convince you that they are they're very real and very important. I remember years ago, back in the 50s, I think there was this movie 
uh, made about a, a woman who was who was to be executed. There's a true story of some woman in America who was to be uh, given capital punishment, I think electric chair. And they made a movie about it. This was in the 50s. And uh, it had this, uh, this, this actress, Susan Hayward, who's very kind of uh, one of the, she was very popular at the time into giving these kind of melodramatic performances. And she could kind of really play these roles to the hilt, you know, the kind of desperate women and, and that. And so she, uh, she was the, the, the character, this woman that was to be executed. And it's called, I Want to Live. That was the name of the movie. Of course, Susan Hayward could say this, like, I want to live in the most kind of emotional way that anyone has ever been able to say it. Well, I remembered it from back in the 50s. Susan Hayward screaming, I want to live. <laughs> it made an indelible impression on my mind. So in my, in my monastic life, uh, in Thailand, this is before I ever came to England, was, was the... Uh, I found myself in the Tham Sang Pet, you know, in the branch monastery, and uh, and I felt I was dying because the kind of uh, the kind of uh, the kind of inspiration of the life was no longer there, and 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 it was incredibly boring. Uh, I was just so bored, and and uh, and and it was. And it would get so hot there. There's all these kind of rock formations, and in the hot season, it, it just the heat would absorb into these rocks, and you see it gets so hot, and and you're, and the food was so dreary, and and there's nothing to look forward to, and uh, day after day, the same old dreary routine, uh, and. Uh, uh, people write me letters and telling me about all the things they're doing. Jack Cornfield wrote me letters describing the kind of fascinating life he was living and uh, you know and all the kind of wonderful things that was happening in the 60s in America. All the things I was missing out on. All <laughs> 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 well, the kind of the 60s must have been fantastic in America. 60s and 70s, and here I was in this hot place, you know, and, and I felt like I was dying, the sense of dying. And then this this inner voice kept saying, like Susan Hayward, I want to live! Susan Hayward kept saying to me, I want to live, you're wasting your life. Uh, and all these kind of statements, uh, highly emotional statements. Uh, in my mind, this was going on, and emotions. And they're very convincing, very powerful, the way they can, you know, like a, like a melodrama. And uh, they, they, you know, it sounds very real and very true when it's going on. But then there's that which is aware of it, and and that was uh, that was established already. There was an awareness of this. 
of this as something as a mental object. So I trusted in that during that time. It was hard going, but I did establish my my refuge in that awareness on that on that screaming, crying, uh, pathetic thing in me that that was saying, "I want to live." I mean, it was that was the thing I trusted rather than the, than the messages I was getting through my emotions, which which were were really empty in themselves. They really were were empty and soulless things, even though they sounded very much like Susan Hayward, who was a very beautiful woman and very powerful actress. But she was an actress. So getting that perspective is is so you know is a real uh, you know something very important and very wonderful in itself because it will change the direction of of you just being uh, helpless helplessly caught up in in your emotions other people's emotions and worldly problems and urgent messages and hysteria and intimidation and the whole lot because the world is like that it's just chuck a block of intimidations and and uh, urgent messages and very important things and shattering destroying destructive things and terrible prophecies and, and all kinds of things from the past and all kinds of dreadful things that might happen in the future. And, uh, and, when, we, and when we think about that, then of course we're, we're caught in it, we're always getting anxious or frightened, insecure, uh, threatened by, by the, the things that we can produce in our own mind. So that, that uh, this gives you perspective on that. And it's not suppressing, it's not just pushing it down and rejecting, it's not Vipavadana, it's, it's this uh, seeing, right understanding of things, seeing things as they are. So you can always start anew, it's this, it's a, uh, Every moment is, is like a, is because it, we're really moving to timelessness, to akalikatamma, to to deathlessness, to timelessness. Is what you're 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 kind of connecting to again. You're you say we've been out in like Adam and Eve into the world. You know, thrown out of this paradise, Garden of Eden. Into the into the sangsara, this miserable place where people are murdering each other and so forth, and uh, we're uh, 
How can we get back to the Garden of Eden? <laughs> I, I want to get back there. I don't like it out here. And it's cold and it's, it's uh, terrifying. It's frightening. And so then, then that say that 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 that's a symbol of that which is timeless, deathless. Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehi Pasiko, Opanaiko, Bajitang, Vaitidapo, we knew here. Apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. Ehi Pasiko, Ehi is a, a encouraging investigation is a kind of like a paraphrase of that statement. Because Ehi Pasiko is much more kind of immediate. You know, like, come and see, you know. It's like invitation, come and have a look right now, not this encouraging investigation is a bit, you know, like an explanation. We encourage investigation, it's like, you know, giving you some, I encourage you to investigate the Dhamma, but to say, Ehi Padigra is like, come and see right now. <laughs> don't dilly-dally, don't, don't waste your time putting it off till the next retreat. Right, ehipasiko dhamma, opanayaka, leading inwards. Leading to nibbana, to non-attachment. And then, bhajatan vaitilapo vinui, to be experienced individually by the wise. So don't think, I mean, if you don't think you're wise, it doesn't, that's not what I'm saying. I can't, a budget tongue is for somebody who's wise, not for me. To be experienced individually, uh, it's more like, so the, the, the wisdom is, uh, is uh, taken for granted. As you develop, you know, you're using wisdom, there's wisdom there. Not that I'm wise, but there is wisdom with us all the time. It's not something you lack or you don't have. It's just something we don't use much of the time. When the self view comes in, it, it, we think in terms of I was and I am now and in the future I will become. And then you think of uh, I'm not very wise, and I've got to get wisdom that I don't have yet, and uh, and I've got to, uh, and that's in the future. I've got to. The of the ahipatiko is that that itself is. I'm not very wise and I should practice and study so I can become wise in the future. There's that which is aware of that, that awareness of, of that kind of attitude or that thought. And then seeing that thought is a, a Nietzsche Dukkanata, putting it in a, seeing it for what it is, is, is the development of wisdom. Is using wisdom in the present, not, not something that you you accumulate uh, and get lots of in the future.
hopefully, but it's something you you become, you're developing the ability to use wisdom, like the teachings themselves are wisdom teachings. But if you just hang on to the to the teachings, you you don't become wise through memorizing the teachings and just holding on to the teachings. But but the teachings are there to to uh, develop wisdom, to remind us. To use wisdom in the present. Then in in uh, it's uh, I've also just to remind you to like with the self really, you know. Don't be afraid of being selfish. And uh, well, that, I mean, but uh, be selfish and listen to it. Get to know what it is, <laughs> and then then turn away from it. So you realize non-self, but not just uh, not take a stand that you shouldn't be selfish, and then then always criticize yourself because you you're selfish and you shouldn't be. That, that's just conceptual proliferation. You just go around with that. You know? I know I shouldn't be selfish. And I try my hardest not to be selfish, but then, you know, really, you know, I find I'm obsessed with my own self and I shouldn't be. And, and then we go on in the whole kind of scenario of, of uh, guilt and remorse about selfishness. That we know we shouldn't we shouldn't have that it's wrong but and so that that just that just goes around and around so then you but you but that which is aware of that whole that scenario that's your refuge that which is aware and and then you can turn to the silence and let go so that the you you and contemplate just the attentive state of attention, sustained attention and awareness. And that, that, that kind of attention is sustainable. It's not like concentrating on an object which is, which is, uh, which is, you know, you can't sustain that for very long. But you can sustain attention. receptive attention, listening, mindfulness. Because that, that's the balance point, that's where as you, as you learn to trust and rest there, then you find that oh, that's like being balanced. It's not, I mean, like balance is, is it's like effortlessness, isn't it? When we're, when we're balanced, then we, we, it seems effortless when we're balanced. But until you learn how to balance, it takes a lot of effort. You know, you, you go from this side to that side. Like watching uh, children when they're learning to walk, isn't it? They're, they, don't, they don't have the balance yet. So it's always, you know, they're, they're standing up and falling down, standing up, falling down, holding on to things, and then letting go and falling down again, standing up again. So they have to go through a, a kind of extreme process of, 
falling down and standing up again until suddenly they connect with the balance, being, uh, being in the state of balance. <clears throat> now like yesterday, all those little Sri Lankan children racing all over the sun. <laughs> Once they learn how to balance, <laughs> they're all over the place. <laughs> but learning how you have to maybe fall down a lot. <laughs> And that, that's the strengthening, that's, that strengthens you. That, like a little child learning to walk, it, it takes, you know, it's strengthening their bodies as they kind of make, <coughs> they have to stand up again, and then they fall down, and they have to stand up. And it's kind of like exercising and developing their bodies, it's strength. It's part of the process. It's not like there's some, something wrong with it, that they should have been made made so they balanced right off, they didn't have to do go through all that. You know, we, like uh, animals, like uh, you see a horse or a cow being born, <coughs> as soon as they're out of the womb, they're standing up on all fours. They're a lot more clever than we are. It takes ages for us to stand up. We just got help with little things that have to be nurtured and taken care of for, for ages where like a newborn calf and just suddenly stand up balance right off as soon as it pops out of the womb <coughs> So the, the kind of ups and downs in the and the struggles of the life are also recognized as, as as developing strength. It's not not like a waste or there's something wrong with you because you, you can't you can't just find this the the balance just immediately like you like you would like we would all like to do. But but we we learn, you know, something we need to learn from the uh, trials and errors we make. It's interesting in monastic life how, you know, like you see some some monks who, uh, elderly monks who who seem to have been saintly all their lives, or in, in Thailand who who ordained when they were just little boys, and and they they have very little kind of worldly experience and they have the purity that uh, and and an innocence that comes through never having kind of uh, done very heavy done very many heavy karmic uh, things but sometimes they don't have very much understanding of the problems of people that that have made heavy karma you know they that's very simple for them and and they have a radiance that is 
truly admirable and worthy of respect, but sometimes they don't understand people who have problems. Just can't figure out what's wrong with them. And so then the other monks you find if who had let, did some made heavy karma and did some pretty uh, not very nice things in their lives and then become monks. And so then they sometimes are the best ones for people who have problems because they understand the suffering and the Not like somebody who's been an alcoholic uh, understands somebody who has a drinking problem. Somebody who's been a criminal, been in a prison, understands the, the, what it's like and the, the mind that thinks like that. So I mean, sometimes our, you know, even our past, there are things, you know, rather than seeing them in terms, giving them a highly personal uh, kind of uh, judgment and seeing it in, in, a, in a bad way, also we have, we can offer a lot to people uh, from our own experience of life who have had similar difficulties, similar problems similar delusions. But that's not to say there that somehow a reformed alcoholic who's become a monk or a, an ex-junkie who's become a monk is somehow better than a monk who's been pure his whole life from, from the age six to, to the age 85. Because that also, that's, that is a, a beautiful being. I mean, we feel a, a sense of their holiness and their purity when we're around them. So they, they're also, you know, they, we, we're all in this together, really. We're all helping each other. <laughs>